You're listening to Real Crime, the Movie Sleuth Podcast. Yeah, I'm pointing at you, and I'm pointing at you, and I'm pointing at you. Oh, you're pointing back at me. Ooh. (laughs) It's a big pointing party here tonight. I'll point at you, fucker. <laughs> Wait, woo. Andrew's got some fangs tonight. Woo, he's feisty. Saff- he's sassy. <laughs> he's faffy. Oh my god. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm normally a more awake than I am normally during the week. I usually come in here myself, and uh, it's at the end of a work day or whatever else is going on. I'm usually just trying to dragging in here, but I'm invigorated this week because I'm just good and pissed off. And I really am very happy about the subject we're going to be talking about this week, too. I think we'll really get into that. Uh, this is Real Crime. What, which one? We're like 40... 47. 47? Yeah. It's been that long. See, I would have yeah. known that. I would have known that if you had done the you know the liners on the screen yeah, we just I'm talked sorry. about before I'm we sorry. started I'm taping sorry. here. Um, Today was absolutely insane for me. Chris, no time. Mr. Chris the ball dropper, he dropped the ball. We don't have a we're, we're flying blind people. Totally flying blind tonight. We have no it's just crazy here. We have no <laughs> idea what's going on. There's <laughs> a gremlin on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the most disturbing things I think I've ever seen in film though. Was that I agree with that. Yeah, Twilight Zone people, that's a reference yeah. to that. Uh, that was yeah, anyways, we'll, I got to say though seeing yeah. that gremlin on the wing when he's smashing it up and thinking eat the mic okay when he's when he's smashing the wing up i'm thinking he's gonna say witness me (laughs) i mean he looks just like one of the uh one of the acolytes in uh in the mad max movies kind of does yeah you're right you're you're totally right and they're both george miller movies so yeah, we don't have a damn outline here, so I got to remember what's going, what, how we do this show. I, News, yo. Oh, on the street, fucking motherfuckers up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, breaking nose, hurting fools, fucking people up. It's Chris with the news. I'm here with the news, y'all. <laughs> Go. Break. Breaking news. Yes. We're getting an, a reboot of The Matrix already. Yeah. I finally just uh, saw The Matrix like two weeks ago. What? Yeah, yeah. Like oh, for made the a big stink of it. Ever made a big stink of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't remember what we got on this, and I t- I took a pile of shit for for certain movies I hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and The Matrix, the series, I guess, the trilogy was one of those films uh, or those three films. So I made and my fiance. Luckily, she has three. She has a copy of each mm-hmm. one of them. So I just grabbed those and watched them. Uh, and Titanic was another one. Wow, I had never seen. Uh, and I really want that was for the last show we did with on Bill Paxton. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to see that, obviously. So, you know, I got that one in, too. But, yeah, I just literally sat down and watched those films two weeks ago myself. What'd you think? I love the first one. I liked the first one. Couldn't stand the second one. Love the third one. That's that's how I that's, you know, in, most in a people nutshell. are pretty iffy on the sequel. So the sequel, it was just I don't know. There just wasn't. They're unnecessary is the thing. You got everything yeah. you needed out of the first film. They were just kind of padding it out and doing a post-apocalyptic uh, sort of Star Wars uh, universe. If, if it, I literally could have went with the first and third one. If I hadn't seen the second one, it I really don't think it would have made much of a difference. They could have compressed part two and three into one movie, actually. Probably, yeah. Just a little bit of touches from the second one, and yeah. then... I love the third one just because of the huge battles that take that, place. That's it's spectacular. Yeah, and, and that's the thing about those movies, even the second one, they hold up. They really. What, we're talking twenty years now yeah. for the original yeah. one. Well, the first one holds up really well technically. The second and third one, not so much. Like the big Agent Smith Neo fight in the second film, 
Um, <laughs> really hasn't aged well at all. The CGI so? looks like PS2 quality now. Yeah. I rewatched it like last year, the second one yeah. and the third one. Well, the whole series. I, they, I think they look. Great, it doesn't look so. terrible. Yeah. But it definitely shows its age. But I think the fight in the third one, the end fight that's like Dragon Ball Z is like badass as shit. That's fun to watch. I think that's a cool fight. So, But so, story-wise, I think they're kind of not as good as the first one. So they're remaking it. They're remaking it. Why? They haven't really Why? said exactly how they're going to do it. Personally, if you're going to reboot The Matrix, yeah. it, should, it should literally be called like The Matrix Rebooted and like take place years after Neo is gone. Don't get rid of that story, but you know they kept talking about how there was not just the one; mm-hmm. there were numerous the ones, and he was the one that finally kind of cracked yeah. it. You know, yeah, that would be the best way to do it. Have it start over again, but it's a new universe. It's basically. a new yeah. one. There's you know? so much they could do with that story to make it take place after the Matrix. Yeah. I think a sequel actually would have worked a lot better. Maybe you know have them living in the post-Neo world and see how they're dealing with, you know, some people still are in the Matrix. Because at the end of the Matrix, some people are still in it and out of it. And, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on with that. I felt like they could... A a reboot just doesn't make sense to me, I guess. I don't know. A more story would have been cool, though. I think there's a lot more you could do with that. It's a fan... It's it's an incredible story. And that's... The thing I remember about the Matrix, like, when it came out and the the whole train took off, right? (laughs) No pun intended. Um... (laughs) I remember people saying, like my my roommate at the time, that that was you know years ago. I'm like, he's like the Matrix man. You gotta fucking watch it, dude. I'm like, I, I don't give a shit about that. I just, I'm not into it. I don't like that. I don't like the way it looks. It, just what I saw I was like, it just turned me off. Mm-hmm. And people literally at the time were saying things like, you know, you just don't get it, man. You need to understand what the Matrix is, Scott. You, I mean, it was like these people were cultists and shit. And I'm like, this that shit alone right there is keeping me away from that. <laughs> want to deal with that um but People i do see- whole philosophy books about the matrix like yeah like it was the deepest thing that's ever been committed to celluloid or something like it's the most superficial philosophical discussion that these movies have they're just so obvious it's like a children's book of philosophy it's yeah. like philosophy yeah. 101 with cool fights which is a good idea i'm down for that i like it but no it was it's not religion worthy you know i had a lot of, i had a lot of fun with that and i understand now why people really grabbed onto mm-hmm. that and you know like the, oh my god I mean, my whole life has changed I, my whole yeah. reality's different now man you know all one, that shit. one thing about the bullet time effects in that movie is they actually did photograph it captured on film and digitally smoothed out the rotations mm-hmm. later but those shots where the the now famous shot that's on the back of the cover box of Agent Smith and Neo yeah. uh, firing at one another, um, they show how they do it before and after, and they were really suspended on strings in midair and were photographed, and they used CGI to smooth out the motion. So you can look at that shot, and it still holds up well today because it's an actual physical it's a physical well yeah it's a wire foo that they use in like old school hong kong movies like they were big fans of those types of films Mm -hmm. and they use the exact same stuff that they used except they just had that camera rotating stuff added Mm -hmm. in it was basically a big budget hong kong film if you ask me oh totally totally so in other news uh this troubled no i want to talk about the matrix some more this whole show is the matrix now (laughs) go ahead go ahead the troubled ben affleck the batman has been pushed back a whole year now they're actually not going to start filming until possibly the end of 2018 
and they're scrapping the entire script all over again and starting over from scratch. But he's still going to be Batman. He's still going to be Batman, but... He's got to complete rehab first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he did complete rehab, though. Is that what the... You posted something like that in in our thing this week, Michelle... That he, yeah, he's out of rehab now, and he's a new person, and all better now. That's but cool. to me, I'm like, that makes everything that's been happening make sense to me, because he was probably going through the stress of that, and mm-hmm. then having to write and direct and star in a film, and the already troubled, tr- you know, troubled, I mean, and like, there's been controversy around yeah. what the, the quality of the films, and and then that spectacular kind of failure of Batman versus Superman. Can you imagine like all that stress? And he's going through like wasn't he going through a divorce too yeah, or something? Yeah, he's getting divorced right now. So I yeah. mentioned that I think on our chat thing. Mm-hmm. That's why when you said when I saw that, I'm like that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I don't know of how secret it is, but I, I mentioned that. I mean, a girl I know from you know from from college. Her and I, you know, were hanging out one day. She just got she had to go away. She had some problems, and she went. To a retreat, you know, one of those therapy things. I don't know what they call them, getaways. Mm-hmm. And she, Ben Affleck was there. And she had the pictures. She has the pictures to prove it. Those two, I mean, him with like a, you know, five o'clock shadow thing mm-hmm. going. And, mm-hmm. you know, looking very, you know, without the makeup. I mean, looking very humble, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it was really, it took me aback. Like, holy crap. You know, and she's like, yeah, that was like, God, man, it had to have been uh, at least uh, 14 years ago. So I don't think this is, I mean, not to. I, I like Ben Affleck. I think he's a very good actor. I think he's a he's a, an amazing artist. Um, but I think this is something he's been battling for yeah. for decades now. You know? well, another thing to consider too is you go from winning the Best Picture Academy Award with Argo, and I don't remember what the name of his newest film was, but it bombed really hard. Live by did, Night, yeah, did not yeah. do well with the critics, and they spent a ton of money making that movie. Yeah, the movie cost almost like seventy five to eighty million to oh make, God. and it only made eight point nine million oh, domestically. No. And again, you know, it was I, shot entirely in 65 millimeter, you know, poor I'm, guy. I'm junkie it's, for that stuff. It is a great looking movie. The sets look awesome. All the costume design. I mean, everything is like period perfect in the movie, but the movie itself is just not good. Yeah, it's just not good. So kind of, kind of looked from the outset like Brian De Palma's Black Dahlia. Yes. Yeah. That's the perfect. That's yeah. Perfect comparison. Perfect comparison. Well, let's uh, wish Ben Affleck good luck. I yes. mean that. I'm not being. Oh, yeah. I'm not being sarcastic. I mean, I, I, you know, no, you don't want it. I don't care who you are. You don't want to see people going through crap. No through crap like that. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, in other news, we're getting another remake oh, of God. The Fly, mm-hmm. which I'm sure Andrew is super, super happy about. Another remake, remake of a remake. Yeah, that's another yeah, remake. Yeah, be the third remake. remake. Is who's directing yeah. it? I don't know. Probably somebody sucky. No idea. Sucky McSuckface. <laughs> That's who's directing. Sucky McSuckerson. I mean, we already got the fly too, so we saw, you know, what what can happen when you make a what try a and make another fly and movie. It wasn't good. Yeah. What a piece of shit. A great was. director's uh, towering masterwork of the nineteen eighties. Yeah. Who was in the fly too? It was Eric uh, Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz. That's and right. uh, the actress who played Princess Vespa from Spaceballs. That's right. That's right. Because it was a Brooks Films production, mm-hmm. and she was part of that whole team. Fucking painful. And then watch. our last bit of news is we're getting another girl with a dragon tattoo movie. They're actually going to go on and make a fourth, a girl in the spider's web. But they're actually kind of doing a semi reboot with this too. Damn, and go, go. you know, this is the book that <laughs> Steve Larson did not 
right? <gasps> this was written by a different author so after he passed away. So it's fan fiction, basically. So it's yeah, basically yeah. fanfic. And rumored right now is Natalie Portman and Scarlett Johansson are in the running to play Lizbeth. I'm going home. <laughs> I want to see Natalie Portman do this, though. We need a new new. I need new news. We need new news. New news. I think new Michelle Dutch. could kick more ass than you could. Yeah. I think, I think Michelle Reese Ronan would make a good uh, girl with a dragon tattoo myself. Yeah. Yeah, she would, too. I just want to see Natalie Portman do something like she's never done before. Like grittier a little yeah. bit? Yeah. yeah. She did a little bit of that with, like, Closer. Do um, the character she Black played Swan. in uh, Leon the Professional as an adult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Outstanding okay. film. Um, Moving on. Releases for this week, we've got Beauty and the Beast. I already saw that last night. Ooh. I'll be posting my review. Ooh. Oh, Lord Almighty. Uh, so much noise about that movie over what I guess is just a fleeting moment in the movie. In the actual rubble, 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 it, 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 it make, there, <laughs> there should be no drama about this in what happens in the movie with the supposedly gay character. There's nothing in this movie that hasn't been in every other Disney movie before. They're just blowing it out of proportion. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the other movie coming out? Belco Experiment or something oh, like yeah. that? That comes out this week. It's horror, correct? Yeah, Kyle's going to see that one tonight, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then he's going to have his review up tomorrow night. Written and, by James Gunn, but not directed by him. Right. And directed then, by Greg McLean of Wolf Creek. Okay. Uh, Wolf Train Creek's Spotting good. 2 actually hits a limited release this week, but we won't be seeing it until next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the opportunity to see that like three times, and I just keep passing on it. I'm, I love the first film. It's it's like sacred uh, ground that you don't need to. That's yeah. That's what you I'm don't scared need to of. Try well, I was upon. on that call with them yesterday, and it sounds like Ooh. they've come up with some pretty cool stuff on it. So I'm excited. I will to see, see that. Who's yeah. is Danny Boyle directing it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Danny that's, Boyle. that's at least he's directing it. That's like one good thing about it. You yeah. know. So, two things we got to mention: our Alien Quadrilogy giveaway is still going on on the website. So make sure Yay. you enter that. There's about twenty thousand entries on it so far. So, <laughs> dude, good luck with that. Yeah, good luck. And what's, also, your, what's the odds, Chris? I don't know. One in twenty thousand. One in twenty thousand. Hey. And then also, Rawl will be at the Horror Hound Convention in Cincinnati Friday through Sunday this weekend. So Hot. we just want to give a shout out about. If you that want an autograph? So, go see yeah. Rawl. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So, so your suggested let's do viewing. This shit. Suggested viewing. Oh, suggested viewing. Yeah. Shit. See, mm. put that fucking thing on the monitor. We wouldn't <laughs> have these problems. We're flying blind here again, Chris. I told you. <laughs> I, What'd you see this week, Chris? That made your nads just bobble up and down. The eyes of my mother. Really cool black and white horror. You flick gave me a copy of that. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank really you. cool. Yeah. Flick. I'm gonna watch the hell out of that. So I'm not gonna say much about it, but it's just a really cool, different style of horror film. So check that one out. Michelle, you got anything for us? Hmm. I actually haven't been watching a whole lot of stuff. You suck. Either. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing video games. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, you got anything for us since Michelle sucks so bad? <laughs> um, Ken Russell's The Music Lovers from 1970. Again, I'm recommending older movies. There's so many new movies. You can that's what this is about. I just yeah. recommend the old shit. No, that's um, great. Uh, bi- biography of uh, Tchaikovsky played by Richard Chamberlain and his various love affairs and mostly how he uh, tried to cover up his homosexuality with a heterosexual marriage. And it beard. De- it's a mixture of uh, Ken Russell's usual uh, 
uh, absurdities and transgressions. There's a lot of grotesquery in it. He made it right before the devils, so oh, okay, you can so. kind of tell what era this is going to be in. Yeah, right. And and Richard Chamberlain is fantastic in it. I think he actually plays all of his own uh, all his own cues himself. So definitely recommend that one. Cool. What do you got, Scott? I had quite a week. I watched <laughs> a lot of movies this week. Um, I, it's probably been discussed on. We, I know we've talked about, it, but I never saw it. But you let me borrow Edge of Tomorrow because I never saw that, oh, and I was raving about that when I came in. Cause I I watched that just today as I was working, and I really enjoyed that. However, uh, on the on the music doc thing that I do, I watched something this week that was very special. It was very cool, and it was it was just something I happened just to find. I watched this on YouTube. It was just something I was just flicking around. And I'm like, ooh, what's this? And it was called The Art of Listening, um, and it's. The title basically gives it away. This is a, it's it is it's a it's an easy one to digest. Hour and fifteen. I would have personally liked it to be about about three hours because this basically is about you know, especially in, in today's time uh, where music and sound has really been you know compressed and crunched down to make it easier for the masses. This is one of those films that embraces technology. However. The whole idea of it is, you know, how serious, how much do you really love sound? And they talk, you know, people like Stevie Vai, they talk to, you know. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, Hans Zimmer's names in the credits, but I didn't see him in the film. Mm-hmm. That's what turned me on to is I saw Hans Zimmer name, uh, Hans Zimmer's name on there. And I was like, oh, I got to check this out. Uh, well, the documentary basically is it just talks to all of these, you know, you know, people you do know, people you don't know, people who are artists and their approach and their views on the art of listening, basically. Fantastic. Not about any genres or nothing like that. Just about how do you, you know, how do you do this? And it really embraces the idea of look, you know, you can listen to you know, you can listen to MP3s and stuff like that, but you really should take a listen to lossless audio also. Uh, and gets in it gets into these frustrations that artists have when they spend all this time crafting a piece of art you know audible art and nobody really listens and nobody you know and then somebody crunches it down to an mp3 and they're like you lose all that you know so there's a lot of that and it's a real educational thing again i would have liked it to have been like double the length it was but for what it is it was really cool you said it's on youtube it's on youtube yeah that sounds really interesting yeah it's on youtube um super cool there's Check kind of like a parallel between that and movie watching because people watch all their stuff on streaming media, which is less quality it's the than same idea. watching a Blu-ray, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and people and they don't have surround sound and all that stuff. So See, the, thing, the thing that's interesting about that, though, too, is, you know, technology in films um, is so embraced like, you know, Blu-rays. I mean. The latest and greatest people want this looks better. This sounds better. This is incredible where we have this whole vinyl craze thing going on now with music we've talked about here on the show. Um, and people are like, well, I want to go back to, you know, it's digressing to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Like we want to go back to older technology uh, because that's the way it should sound. That's the way we should listen yeah. to things. Right. So, you know, and of course, I think I, I think technology with music is fantastic. I like mp3s and cds and mm-hmm. i still i still buy cds why not right i oh they're good they're going away 20 years from now i'm keeping all my cds man everybody's selling all their cds right oh, yeah. now people are gonna go back to those 20 years from now i guarantee you time's gonna tell on that crap people are like, oh my god i miss my cds and i'm gonna clean the fuck up on all you pricks dude i'm gonna <laughs> be like so a, freaking rich you're like a dragon over his like gold horde like <laughs> yes <laughs> you will you will come to me someday so check that out very i really it was very special 
Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I think people who like music and you know anybody, like you can, you know, it ties into art. Like you know, how much do you love art? You know, is it just something you do as background noise, or is it something you really sit down and try to observe? And that's kind of what the idea of this uh, this little film was. So check that out. Moving along. Sorry, didn't mean to go. I always do that. I always fucking. Take oh, it was off. interesting. Take <laughs> off on a freaking tangent. With I apologize. So you better, bitch. <laughs> I just threw my paper on the floor. Oh. That's how upset I was. And I just I gotta read that thing. Crap, I'm in trouble I'll here. Get it for you. You're gonna get it for me. Yeah. Turn around and pick it up real slow, like. Uh, and it, yeah, that, that you could do. <laughs> you could do that too. So this week, cakes. speaking of special things. This is. I'm really excited about this, and I know you're excited about this, Andrew. I think we're all excited about this. I'm aroused. I'm calling this week, and I put it on my note sheet, PTA worship. Ah. Okay. Now, what does PTA stand for, Andrew? Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. So we did Bill Paxton worship last week, basically. Yeah. This week is going to be different, but the same, PTA worship. I guess we're just going to talk about the films. Yeah. That he's done. Yeah. Right? I, I, you want to look at this? Go ahead, Andrew. It's all you. So I want you to lead <laughs> off on this. this well, you didn't bring up his first film, which was... Uh, I didn't uh, bring it up because I didn't see it. Hard Eight. Hard Eight. Yeah, I was trying to get that, actually. That's one of the ones I haven't seen in his catalog. I've got a DVD of it. I can loan it to you next time. Outstanding. Uh, do one of these. That'd be beautiful. Yeah, as I was trying to get that uh, this week to watch it as research for the show, along with just wanting to get the film, you know, see the film, too. Actually, I haven't seen that one, either. Let's talk about, let's talk about Hard Eight. Let's start, let's start a, from the beginning. Go it's ahead. It's a the great only movie. one I haven't seen. It's a I great can't, movie. I can't say much about it. The intended title for it was Sydney, but I guess there was a lot of studio interference and... Uh, I don't remember how exactly it all went, but they, Paul Thomas Anderson basically said he was screwed over, and when he uh, was doing Boogie Nights, uh, he was getting into it with the CEO of New Line Pictures, and and he was pretty much having to calm PTA down, saying, you know, we know you got screwed over on your last movie, that's not how the business ordinarily works, we, we'll make sure that you're protected in this case. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what all the factors were, but I guess Hard Eight didn't come out not didn't come out the way he wanted it, but the way it was released, it pretty much got lost in the shuffle. It got buried. Well, I remember it was like it got like a main art release. Like it was like the art house cinemas got it and it was meant to be a larger release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean the first time I saw it was on VHS. You know, mm-hmm. so I think it was like 96 when it came out, something like that. Yeah. 96, 97. But it's what? Philip Baker Hall? Philip Baker Hall, Samuel L. Jackson, Gwyneth Paltrow, and John C. Riley. Yeah. And it's a good, good movie. It's about gambling. Mm-hmm. And I mean, honestly, I love that movie too. I love all of them. So uh, I lost my sheet. I was trying to hand it back. I was just kidding, <laughs> really, but I, I do need it. I tried to <laughs> hand it back. Come on, Andrew. Just usurp this thing. Pass it Tried on, pass to it take on. it back. See, yeah, and unfortunately, um, <laughs> yeah, this is a bit it. skewed because I just kind of made my sheet up with the, with the stuff that I actually have seen. Right, minus right. one of these films, I just noted down. Um, moving on, oh. yeah, after Heart Eight, you already mentioned it was Boogie Nights. As far as theatrical releases, right? Because he's mm-hmm. done. I looked at his filmography, and he's did a lot of little, little documentaries. Mm-hmm. Fiona Apple, awesome. yeah, he did yeah. this one uh, called Junin, which was this. Yeah. Uh, um, Indian music project with Johnny Greenwood, and I think it's his only film shot with digital cameras. And he uses the uh, 
uses the drones quite a bit. It's kind of weird seeing PTA doing drone photography, but anyway, that film didn't come till much later. Uh, back to Boogie Nights. Yeah, Boogie Nights. I know for me, this was a, like I mentioned the Matrix earlier. Mm-hmm. When I saw the previews for this back, this is like '97. Yeah, I think Boogie Nights came so out in 99, I believe. 99? Mark Wahlberg. Oh, I'm sorry. Boogie Nights was 97. Hardy okay, 90, was 96. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg stars in the film. At the time, fuck that guy. Couldn't stand him. Didn't want anything to do with the dude. <laughs> the subject matter turned me off also. Um, I was just wasn't in, like, okay. And, you know, I look back on that now, and I realize, like, there was the whole porn star thing. People had them dumb shirts that said porn star. Yeah, I remember a, that. There was, was a, a company, throw, right? I think there was. Yeah, there was a company was a called Porn Star. Company, yeah. yeah. They cleaned up, I think, because of that film. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of kicked off a craze. A porn now, craze. Yeah. What I personally did, I have never, as another one of those movies that I never saw. I just didn't give it the time of day, which I know was a great sin. And I learned that. When I watched it this past week, because <laughs> I actually did sit down really? and watch oh, the okay. film, um, I didn't know Julianne Moore was in it. I didn't know Burt Reynolds was in it, which I'm like, fuck, man, these are like some of my favorite people. For God's sake, a fantastic Burt Reynolds too. He's oh like my so god, good in it. <laughs> who will not watch the movie to this day? Burt Reynolds? <laughs> no, he besides punching PTA on in the face on the set at one point. For real? Yeah, he. Uh, Classic Burt Reynolds. He refuses to watch the movie to this day. He, he, thought, he thought it was a bad career move and blah, blah, blah. And he's just, I guess this has always been his MO because he was doing the same thing when Deliverance came out. He was, you know, talking shit about that and right. it was a waste of time and he wasn't, wasn't going to watch it. So he's, he's fantastic in Boogie Nights and even got an Oscar nomination. Still won't watch the movie to this day. That's weird. Because he is fucking fantastic in that movie. He, he, yeah, he, he's flawless. Now, here's what I don't understand is he thought it was a bad career move. At that point, his career was in the fucking shitter. Yeah, he, he wasn't he doing do? anything. What else did he do? Mm-hmm. Nothing. And that was supposed to be like his comeback movie. Mm-hmm. I remember it was a, like Burt Reynolds is in this movie. Wow, he's been gone for years. Yeah. And he was in that movie and people are like, wow, he's really a fantastic actor again. Yeah, that's so strange to me. I think a lot of really talented actors are also have very erratic personal lives and sometimes have very erratic uh, regard for their own work. Like, um, who's another actor that uh, Marlon Brando and Mickey Rourke, of course, have yeah, that sort yeah. of track record of their uh, personal lives overshadowing their professional life and them not really being all that involved in promoting the work or supporting right, it. Right, right. So that's my only guess, but it's just strange to me because he's so great in the movie. Yeah, like and they well, all everybody are. in that film. Yeah, Julianne Moore. I I'm so used to seeing Julianne Moore just play the straight characters, mm-hmm. um, and seeing her really let loose like that. We saw her boobies. Yeah, we saw <laughs> Julianne Moore's boobies. We've seen her boobies a lot though. She's showing them in a lot of movies, I, but they were just. Wow. Yeah, those are I, 1997 the, boobs, though. 1997 boobs supposed to be back in the 70s boobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which even better, right? Um, <laughs> just there was, as I expected myself in that movie, there was, and dare I say, I mean, I mentioned this as far as my taste on this show. Just gratuitous sex stuff just kind of turns me off, even to the you know, especially to this day. So going into that movie was a challenge for me. However. It wasn't nearly as much as I thought it was going to be. The shooting and you know, them scenes they were doing when they were shooting the movies, they were really pretty tame, actually. Yeah. There really was yeah. not a lot of... 
there was some, of course, you're going to have some nudity, I mean, Roller Girl and all that stuff. Um, but really, the film, in my opinion, was pretty tame. It was not that explicit, I don't think. Um, the subject matter was explicit. The ideas were very explicit. Yeah, for sure. But as far as like what they put in front of your eyes, it was a very fucking really cool story. I, I mean, think that's because PTA knew that if he put a bunch of explicit sex in it, it would derail what he was trying to do with the movie, which was tell a story. Not that sex is bad, but I, f- I feel no. like he was... Uh, he did the right thing and kind of making it a little bit more in the background than it could have been. Yeah. He could have had all kinds of explicit stuff in there, but I think it would have overshadowed all the acting, you know? To not go... Nope. Not, go ahead, Andrew. Go I ahead. was going to say, speaking of the uh, the acting, he um, he lets a lot of th- spontaneity come into his movies also, like unplanned mistakes that wind up working better for the character or for that particular sequence. For instance, when... Um, when William H. Macy is outside and he's watching his wife, who is played by a real porn star, uh, you know, having sex with another porn star while a bunch of people watching, he's yeah. getting flustered and he says something like, my fucking wife has an ass in her cock in the yeah, driveway. Yeah, what the fuck was that? That was a mistake. That was, was a complete mistake. But he was so flustered that he left it in. It worked. And yeah. I found that that's a recurring thing in PTA's movies that he'll... He'll leave in, like a lot of filmmakers like to trim off the fat and loose ends, and he just leaves it all there. It's very Altman-esque, very Robert Altman-esque, like like the ramblings of uh, Sterling Hayden in The Long Goodbye, where a shot just seems to go on and on, and the character's just kind of rambling and wandering back and forth in between the shot. Well, he just kind of lets, leaves the natural flow there, mm-hmm. you know, in that little mistake or that little flaw, and it makes it. So I remember the hearing. Viewer, I heard that. And I was like, what the "So the viewer is twitch. you feel <laughs> like you're more there. You're more part yeah. of what's actually going on." And Boogie Nights really does have that feeling. Yeah. The only thing about Boogie Nights is it does tend to wear its influences on its sleeve. The, a lot of the montage is pretty clearly a riff on Goodfellas. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> and the ending where. Well, not the ending, but one of the final scenes where they're uh, they're trying to do the drug deal. With, okay, not uh, the not the drug deal, but keep going, keep going. Um, when they're trying to do the drug deal with uh, Alfred Molina, yeah, yeah, and there's this Chinese kid throwing firecrackers everywhere. Yeah, that's that's a direct nod to Putney Swope, the Robert Downey Senior yeah. film, which um, it's a it's a pretty subversive movie. Check it out sometime if you haven't yet. How and, about? And I don't mean to cut you off, but I I. This just popped in my head, and I'm glad you maybe reminded me to mention this. Mm-hmm. The scenes where Dirk Diggler <laughs> is looking in the mirror, talking to himself mm-hmm. before shoots. Raging that, Bull. Thank you. Fuck yes. Fuck I rule. <laughs> if you're, you're you're giving me the nod. Okay, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, dude. I'm like, that's like a total nod to Raging Bull, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. at the end where, <laughs> you know, he's talking to you, you're the man, you're, you're real, and then he kind of stands up and <laughs> the prosthetic comes out. Yeah, <laughs> <Good to see>. <laughs> But that's exactly what I thought, too, Andrew, was it was a total nod to Raging Bull. Yeah. Um, Mark Wahlberg was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, as much as I, I love the guy now, I think he's he's a way better actor than he ever was a music person yes. or whatever else he did. He's Rapper, yeah, yeah well, he rap- was good in the Basketball Diaries. Which Fan, yeah, did very come good. Out before very good. Boogie yeah. Nights. It took a while to really get rid of that, you know, Marky Mark. I still call him Marky Mark. Even I'm always like, whenever I see him in a movie, but you know, it was hard for him to lose that uh, 
underwear model, you yeah. know, what? pseudo rapper Whoa. thing. A goat, say hello to your mother for me. <laughs> <laughs> one of the what? things, one of the what made me think about Boogie Nights, like another movie, not even related, but it popped in my head. Do you guys ever see the movie uh, Hell Ride? A few years old now, mm-hmm. Larry Bishop. Yeah, I've seen great. it. Not the greatest film, but I remember watching the director's, com- not the commentary, but just some of the bonus materials on that. I, I own it. And one of the other actresses, it's a scene with, um, with the, if you remember the movie, there's a scene where Larry Bishop, the president of the, of the victors, is they have their informant. And he goes into this bar with her, and they're like flirting hardcore. And the lady talked about that scene. She's like, oh, yeah, Larry wanted me to get totally nude and do all this insane shit. And she said, you know, I, I think she had some cold feet, obviously. But she, I think she sold it to him saying like, you know, let me just kind of sell this another way and be really sexy. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to take off my clothes. And she did, and it really did work. You know, and that's kind of when I when I saw Boogie Nights, it was the same mentality. Like, you know, of course, like I said, there is plenty of explicit stuff in the movie, but it it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't say worse, yeah. but it could have been a lot more hardcore. It's kind of dispassionate too, and it it really over time regards them as kind of a broken family unit of lost souls. Isn't really uh, like it like it. Yes, it sexualizes them because they yeah. have to be sex objects, but. At the same time, you know, you're seeing these characters as uh, really, really desperate for uh, acceptance. The only acceptance they can find is in each other. And that's yeah. and that final, like the final second from final scene, really does tie that up because you see the whole thing where the camera just follows Burt follows Burt Reynolds around as he's interacting with all these people who are back in the in his because it was a broken family. Yeah. And they all kind of came back to the fold, and everything just kind of it ended on a happy note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which we know, like, I don't think John Holmes, which a movie it was based on. Wonderland. Wonderland? I think that was a John Holmes movie, or at least that was the Wonderland murders. Did he die from AIDS or something? What happened? I thought John John Holmes Holmes. died from AIDS, yeah. 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 He was one of the first people in porn to die from AIDS. Yeah. And after that, didn't that make them kind of clean up their act and say we have to get everybody tested? After John Holmes, there wasn't much, and then it started to spread more within the next three or four years, and Mm -hmm. that's when they started to crack down. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, fantastic movie. I'm really happy I was able to see it finally <laughs> for this show. Uh, it was good research. I'm glad I I'm glad I did it personally. I, I think we all agree it's a fantastic movie. It's just beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Um, next Mag- one on the list. Magnolia. Oh, my God. Same thing. Dude, Dude, the same thing this week. I watched, never saw that one either. Sat down with that. And you did your it. homework. I fucking worked my ass off this weekend. <laughs> It was a pleasure. I'm really happy I did. Go ahead, Chris. You know, Magnolia and, like, There Will Be Blood, those two are, like, go head-to-head as my favorites. Honestly, Mm. I think I've seen Magnolia probably a lot more times than There Will Be Blood. I just fucking love John C. Riley in that movie. He's just so fucking sad and desperate, but just wants acceptance Mm. so bad and wants to find love with her, and they're so... Different. Like, they're so different. They're opposites. And, yeah. And then... Uh, he's a very just, clumsy cop, too. Losing the gun, losing the nightstick. Yeah. Yeah. He's just... You feel so bad for him, but he has so much heart and so yeah. much soul, and he just wants to prove himself, and he wants everybody to love him and be accepted. I just... Mm. I love that part. And then, obviously, Philip Seymour Hoffman. As is, the caregiver. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was tough to watch. It Not, is tough to watch. But in a good way. I mean, to watch Philip Seymour Hoffman work like that, 
it, it it's a testament. It really was. I mean, that that really kind of got me in the gut watching him. Yeah. There's a scene with Tom Cruise when he's at the bed and he's just in the background. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's all this emotion. There's all this emotion coming in the center of the frame, but over in the corner, there's just to me, I was watching the corner of the frame, mm-hmm. going, "Oh my God!" Because he's breaking down, also, right? right. Mm-hmm. Oh, go, go! I'm gonna start crying. <laughs> what, I was what? gonna say also that was Jason Robard's final film, and he actually was dying of cancer when they were making it. So yeah. it uh, just lent that much more uh, dramatic weight to the role that he was actually experiencing that while they were making it, and I think he actually did pass on before the film was released. Yeah, he did. Because I remember that. I just, it's a funny film because it's all these characters are like so human in it. Even Tom Cruise, who's so. Frank T.J. Mackey. Frank T.J. Mackey is so like, you know, I'm the man. Mm -hmm. That pussy's mine, whatever, you know. He's so powerful in everything and he has all the money in the world and everything, but it all comes back down to the human element of it. And then to throw in that fantastical ending is. Just like what the fuck just happened? Well, I think it's, they do kind of they do kind of give it away throughout the film, though. Like uh, they're reciting uh, Exodus eight, right. uh, chapter eight, verse two. Uh, throughout the movie, little lines come up. There's a part where uh, where William H Macy is vomiting in a toilet, and he's you know drunkenly reciting it. And right yeah. before the frog rain, they pass yeah. by a gas station, and it happens to say Exodus A2 right before it. I never even it, noticed, I never that. noticed that. It's for a split second. If you look at it frame by frame, it's there. That's crazy. I, I think all the characters, as far as the ball of wax that is Magnolia, they all become vulnerable. At, I mean... A lot of emotion comes from that, but if you watch all the characters, that's what I noticed, is that they all have a moment in the film where they become completely vulnerable, and there's always someone there to kind of pick them up. Mm-hmm. You know, they where they they ha- they have to be honest, they have to be true, um, and that's one thing. They, they all are broken at one point. That's one thing. Yeah, if you watch all of them, they all have their lowest point mm-hmm. in that film, yeah. right? Um, One other thing I want to point out, too, is uh, the I think it's closest antecedent is uh, Network, the movie, uh, the Sidney Lumet movie mm-hmm. with uh, Peter Finch. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the television segments uh, where Peter Finch is on, he's got his own television show, and there's these you know rotating set pieces that are showing off all these uh, poster designs. It... Uh, it's very similar to what they did in Magnolia with the game show that uh, Philip Baker Hall is the host of. Mm-hmm. Philip Baker Hall is really amazing in that movie too, even though he plays a pretty uh, horrible, person. cryptic character. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. So yeah, Beautiful. I'm like deep. I'm like deep in thought now. Yeah, everybody's about... like, hmm. well, there's that's a. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've only seen it once, so I mean that you, you mentioned that a few minutes ago, Chris. I'm gonna have to watch that. A, pile of more times because i've seen it i would say i would say i've seen that movie at least 15 times yeah because i try to go through his movies like once a year you know like i'll watch boogie nights and magnolia um there will be blood i try to get in you know i watched the master um again a couple weeks ago well these aren't easy films to watch either i don't think not because they're bad because they're the opposite of that heavy they're they're heavy they're epic unbending unrelenting uh 
extremely difficult characters that just go out of their way to keep you at arm's length from them in yeah. every action that they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These they're these are challenging films. All these films on the, on the you know that we're talking about, they're all challenging to watch. Um, so they're not something you can just keep watching. Oh, that was funny. I'm going to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Boogie Nights had a shitload of comedy in it. It was probably, to me, one of the lighter films, if not the lightest film as far as mood. Mm-hmm. I think Punch Drunk Love is probably see, the lightest. Okay, see, I haven't seen that, so okay. I'm totally ignorant on that. Yeah. So at least from my experience, um, that's the, the, the most, like, happy-go-lucky fun film. Right, right. But we're mo- let's move on to that. That's the next on the list here. It's Punch Drunk Love. Happy-go-lucky, and it's not, because, again, it, it, the character is very deeply disturbed and troubled and ha- has these outbursts of rage that just seem to come out of nowhere. <laughs> some of it's funny and some of it's not, and a lot of the times you're watching the movie, you're not sure. Um, it's his most lyrical of all of his films uh, with the use of music, particularly the song from the Robert Altman Popeye film, mm-hmm. again, making another Altman connection. Um song that Shelley Duvall sings, He Needs Me, plays over the soundtrack throughout the film. Yeah, I remember that too. Well, who just sang? Was I did. Michelle? That Is was that not you? me. Oh, okay. I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> Holy fuck. I, I bounced my voice to Michelle. Michelle. I, 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 can, I, I like can... that movie because um, he picked Adam Sandler to pick to play the protagonist, which I feel like Adam Sandler is a good actor that just doesn't give a shit, kind of. Like, he's just... I feel like if a director pushes Adam Sandler, he can fucking act. And he acts his ass off in that movie, and he's great. And people like to talk shit about Adam Sandler, but I've seen him do serious roles. What was that other one? I think it was called Rain Over Me. Yeah. He was good in that, too. Spanglish. He was yeah. good in Spanglish. He was good he, in Spanglish, The dude too. can act. I feel like he just kind of isn't super... I feel like he just takes roles. Like if if he happens to get a good role and the guy needs him to be good, he can be good. But if somebody doesn't give a shit, then he doesn't give a shit. Does that make sense? I yeah. think I think what I the, what he does a lot of the time with things like you don't mess with the Zohan is he and his friends just get together and screw around on the set and yeah. whatever they get in the can, that's what they cut together and put in theaters. Well, that's been my problem with Adam Sandler, and that's the ap- the absolute reason that I never have given Punch Drunk Love. The time of day. Oh, no, so you... good in it, too, Except though. this... I try. I actually... I did try. Like, today's Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Monday, I did try to find a copy of it. I went to a couple store, You know, like, you know, video stores, and they didn't have it. Oh, damn. I'm one stuck. <laughs> so one I thing I want to point out that's similar connection to Magnolia and, um, and Punch Drunk Love is the use of sound. His films can be dead, quiet, and then they just explode with... These really piercing loud noises, like the first time, the first time one of the frogs hits the windshield in Magnolia, you about jump out of your seat. That scared the crap out of me. The <laughs> beginning of Punch Drunk Love, he it's dead quiet in the morning. He's looking down the street, and there's this huge car accident that just happens right in front of him, and it it's deafeningly loud. It goes from silent to completely deafening in a, a nanosecond, and that's something that's always kind of made Paul Thomas, Paul Thomas Anderson's films, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, keeping you on edge, because you don't know when he's going to let a bomb go off right next to you. He you does some I mean? really interesting thing yeah. with scores, too. Like, the, the master, uh, I really like when somebody uses music 
in the opposite way of its its intention. Mm-hmm. Like the music in the master doesn't sound like it goes with that movie at yeah, all, but separate. it does when you're watching it. If you listen to that, if you listen to that score separate from the movie, it's like weird, you know. But mm-hmm. if you watch it together, somehow it works. It's a really overwhelming score too. Like it's really like in the forefront, like very lush and loud and yeah. and mm-hmm. and very and it makes some st- normal scenes seem like really foreboding or mm. or like something's off even when it's just something tranquil on the actual visuals mm-hmm. but you know i think he does that in a lot in his movies like you said he uses sound in an interesting way as a as part of the narrative i guess to mm-hmm. make you feel things more so than other directors mm-hmm. speaking of going back Definitely. to magnolia i i that made me think of it also you, another comment you made andrew I got done with that film on Saturday. I watched it Saturday afternoon. And I actually felt my heart racing a bit through the film. Like, it had me, my anxiety was going, I mean, literally, my anxiety was intensifying when I watched that film, which is why I know it's fantastic. It really had me just, like, nervous as hell, like you were talking about, Andrew, where they just keep you on edge because mm-hmm. every minute of that film, like, okay, there's something fucking horrible that's going to happen here. <laughs> something, it's going to happen sooner or later. And I remember saying, I said it to Amber when I got done, I was literally, she's, the movie was over with and I'm like, fuck. Mm. And she's like, what are you mad about? You're watching yeah. a movie. I'm like, this movie has me anxious. I feel stirred up. I feel uncomfortable. I feel restless now. And again, it's not. I love the movie. It was He's fantastic. Very good at making people feel uncomfortable. He does it in a way that doesn't make you abandon the movie, but he does make you kind of shrivel up in your seat a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, there's no way I was not going to finish that. I'm just like, whoa, dude. But mm. it had me. We where did we went out? We went to a concert that night, and I was complaining to my buddies. I'm like, I'm restless. I don't know what I'm fucking restless for. That goddamn <laughs> stupid movie I watched earlier has got me all screwed up in the head. Um, well, I mean, he creates characters that you actually sympathize with. Yeah. They feel like real people. They don't feel like, you know, caricatures or anything. Like, they feel like this is some dude, like, I could actually hang out with and have a talk with. Like, John yeah. C. Riley in Magnolia. Like, dude you're kind of fucked up in the head. You need somebody to talk to, you know? <laughs> yeah. You need a hug, like, bro. You need a hug. But yeah. seriously, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's a thing. Frank TJ Mackey, like, dude, calm the fuck down. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You mm-hmm. got daddy issues. We understand. But same thing. Like, you feel like I could actually find something to relate to with all these people. And that's oh, yeah. probably why mm-hmm. you were anxious about it, because... You walk away from this like not this is, just this, could, this happens. You're not watching Except for the frogs. an action <laughs> movie. You're not watching Mission Impossible. No, you're watching people actually experience something tangible. Yeah. Almost you like documentary esque, not maybe in style, but in the fact that you know they're not escapist like movies. Right? No, like, they're you're not. Very invested not. in every movie emotionally. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Magnolia. I mean, we're going. I know we were talking about punch drunk. That's okay. I'm sorry, uh, but yeah, that that's one thing I really walked away from that movie. I, I, from the first viewing that that I got over the weekend, was just that was just this anxiousness and just restlessness. And I think it was because of these characters, like you said. And that is that that carries over in his other films. It just mm-hmm. wasn't that film. Punchdrunk Love has that restless feeling, especially towards the middle of the film. I would say where it's like things are spiraling out of control and. And you feel for the, you know, everybody involved. And I, I would say, 
like you guys are saying that movie's light. That movie didn't seem super light to me. It seems like uh, I it's feel a very like tense it's, film. Yes, yeah, tense. Like it, I feel like it's supposed to be funny, but I it doesn't. It seems funny, like not in kind of like in a mean way, I guess a little bit, like like dark comedy. Yeah, like dark yeah. comedy. You know, like it's funny because his his life's just so jacked the fuck up. You know, like yeah. It's mm-hmm. not funny in like a lighthearted way, I guess. The percussive score by John Bryan with a lot of the off-key piano keys, and it's just constantly playing, mm-hmm. you know, with this rhythmical tempo. After a while, much like the character, you start to feel like the character that Sandler plays, Barry Egan. You just start to get a little nervous, a little uneasy, because the score is so unrelenting and so tense. And the editing is really tense, too. The more... Uh, anxious he becomes the the faster the editing becomes on the yeah film it's too. like choppy cut 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 well the thing about you know this tenseness we're talking about too and i mean i can speak on it even if i haven't seen punish drunk love we talked and it just <laughs> you know i love doing this shit um lights out was that well that was the recent horror film we saw it was last year wasn't it yeah lights out it's the same idea you know like in magnolia for example, which I can speak on, you know, okay, it's just a movie, Scott. It's cool. You're fine. We've already talked about the characters, how you can identify with them. Lights Out, which is like not even nearly on PTA's <laughs> level. However, it's a movie I was watching. Me and Amber were watching this. We watched it together, and I knew it was a jump scare movie. Yeah. I knew what I was walking into. It's just a goofy jump scare film. Mm-hmm. However, I know it's coming. I know the jump scare. I could see it from a mile away. I mean, yeah. I know they were setting it up. It was so obvious. Fun movie, but it was so obvious. Um, still, maybe jump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's still, you know, it's the same kind of idea, I think, where, okay, Magnolia, it's a film. Yeah, you're, you're getting invested. Like I already said, my anxiety was up. Mm-hmm. I, it's a fucking movie. Why, why am I freaking out? That's just it's that good. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just that it's damn good. good compelling. It's just that damn good. And I'm not. And, it, and let me just make this clear. I am not comparing Magnolia to Lights Out. <laughs> not even in the same league. He same. said they were just as good as each other. So no, send, no, no, no. send him hate mail at Scott <laughs> at Spoiler Free Movies. When we're standing at sixty nine at at, at, <laughs> at movie. So he won the Best Director Award at Cannes for yeah. uh, Punch Drunk Love. And then nothing for several years, I think. What did he make after Punch Drunk Love? Oh, we, were he we in came, for it? He came back out of nowhere were with we There Will Be Blood. It? Oh, okay. <laughs> Man. I this. drink your milkshake. <laughs> Dream! Okay, all right. That Memes movie aside. has one of the best opening sequences. It's just, there's no there's no talking. It's just yeah. crazy-ass shit and music. And fucking Daniel Day-Lewis is just intense as shit. And... That's such a great movie to me because I love movies where it's about a subject I know zero about. I know nothing about oil tycoons, yeah. but it was so fucking compelling and and alien to me that like yeah. I was just completely drawn into it like immediately. I jumped on that because I thought it was going to be a cowboy. Mm-hmm. I saw a trailer for it. I'm like, well, Daniel Day-Lewis, I want to marry that man. Um, <laughs> and he's in a cowboy. Even better. Uh, it's going to be great. I just, I didn't, I didn't even see it in the theater. I just bought it when it came yeah. out on DVD, blind. And same thing. I'm like, what the fuck is it? Oil? Oil tycoons? What the hell? Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, um, it definitely is a horror film. It's it's my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Um, 
uh, due in large part because he not only so convincingly recreated a bygone era, um, including but not limited to using a lot of street casting, like a lot of the supporting actors in that movie were non-actors. They were just locals living in the area that looked, the, they they had the face, they looked the part, so right. he cast them. And he actually jettisoned a lot of his usual stock actors like Louis Guzman and John C. Riley. It's like, uh, they their presence would take the audience out of the movie. So he didn't cast them. Uh, the little boy in the movie, Dylan Frazier, that mm. was the only movie he's done to this day. He wasn't an actor. He was a farm boy. And uh, that's crazy. I, I guess just yeah. really understood the rugged terrain, and you know, unlike other actors that would, you know, get hurt or start crying if they fall, he would take a fall and just dust himself off because he he lived that way of life. There's actual, and I may have mentioned this on a previous show about this film. There's actual scenes, just maybe a shot. My favorite example is the, on the train mm-hmm. with Daniel Day-Lewis and the, and the little boy. Mm-hmm. I forget his he's name already. Playing but, with his mustache. Well, no, it was just a scene where he's looking down at the little boy. It's just before he gets ready to send him off. Oh, this and, is later in the film. And he's yeah. just looking down. It's just a scene where Daniel Day-Lewis is looking down at him. And it's a frozen type of shot. I mean, they're not frozen. They're just sitting there. But to me, that scene, you could just cut that, make it black and white, and you could pass it off as an authentic like era photo. Mm-hmm. It looked that real. Mm-hmm. It, it just it was incredible to me how how good it looked. The crazy thing about that scene is too, when he's looking down at him, because that's right about he, when he's going to bolt off yeah, the train yeah, and send the yeah. kid off to the special school. Yeah. yeah, you know, like that look that Daniel Day Lewis has on his face. It's like. That's really his little kid, and he really doesn't want to get off the train and leave him. Oh, and you can actually he knows he's feel, fucking up. You can actually feel the tension in that scene where mm-hmm. he's like, I don't want to do this, but I have to. Yeah, I have I'm going to go talk to the conductor. Yeah. I'm going to go talk to the conductor. This you is like a right really here. good impression of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched this so many times. Sounds in every movie. I've been oil man on the pipeline. (laughs) That whole ocean of oil underneath our feet. He's so goddamn intense in that movie. Just every scene he's in, he's just fucking. He's like acting his ass off. Just every movie he's in, he's just fucking intense. Like he does like one movie every five years. He just saves up all his acting energy for that one shit. Like you know, like no, yeah, because he spends his time getting into character and he doesn't break he don't break it he don't break the entire time he's on set he's in character yeah we could do a whole show on Daniel we we should do a show on Daniel Day Lewis (gasps) oh my god I already just jizzed (laughs) oh my god apparently uh, Daniel Day Lewis uh, PTA was a bit apprehensive about approaching him for the role and he said oh you're the guy who made Punch Drunk Love I love that movie so they knew there and then that he was going to be okay working with Daniel Day Lewis they're, um, they're, it's such a dirty film, too. I mean, grimy. It's grimy. Um, they shot it using uh, lenses from the 1940s. Oh, really? That were affixed to modern cameras. So a lot of scenes have this really, uh, really antique look to them where, the, where there's a lot of uh, light and brightness bleeding into the shot. And there's a lot more uh, rich colors in particular shots. Remember near the end when... Uh, when 
he's watching Eli uh, take off on a train. We'll get to Eli in a moment. Oh. And <laughs> it's just an extended take of his face with the sun on his face. Yeah. And uh, is it where he's, si- he's sitting there, kind of just wait? He's just, he's just kind of sitting there waiting and looking around the room. I think. Are you talking about Daniel Day Lewis? Are you talking Daniel Day Lewis? Yeah. And they used it for the poster image, the image where he's got the top hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that I believe that was achieved using these same lenses because they could capture uh, colors and light levels that these newer lenses uh, couldn't. So Eli, uh, let's oh. open up that can of worms. Paul, Paul Dano as Eli. He's really good, though. He is. I mean, it's funny because Paul Dano does the same kind of role all the time. But in that movie, like Eli Sunday, I'm like, I like him as that character. Yeah, that kind of nervous, twitchy kind of, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> don't bully me, Daniel. <laughs> that entire ending scene just is so fucking fantastic. It's the best payoff of just everything that's been happening up until that point. It's just so fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, I was just like, what the fuck? It's comical, too. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's comical. And I'm then done. it turns horrific again. It's a, yeah, it, yeah. It's just so fucked up and out of nowhere, and you're just like... <laughs> the co- the, yeah, the entire conversation they have, the way Daniel Day-Lewis does it, the this, the entire culmination of everything, and then he's just batshit crazy, yeah. just doing crazy old dude shit because he's just fucked up and he's just living your milkshake. Yeah, I I drink it up. I'm a false like prophet. God me. is a superstition. <laughs> I'm a false prophet. God is say it like you're in front of your congregation. Yeah. Oh my god, I can't because hear you in the back. The funny thing was is <laughs> they were both. They're two sides of the same coin of yeah. like obsession. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel is why Day Lewis they're is, such yeah. arch rivals. Yeah, they, you know Daniel Day Lewis is obsessed with money and like success, basically. And you know, and Daniel's character is is wants to be the best, also, and he wants to be, you know, he he his he's obsessed with God, like he mm. like Daniel Day Lewis is obsessed with oil and money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they're both the same person basically, and there's basically the entire movie is just like who's gonna fuck who over first. Yeah, you know. Well, it's really it it sums up when bastard in a basket. No, no, no. <laughs> you, that's, basket. that's the scene when his son comes to him and says, you know, in sign language, I'm gonna go to Mexico and start mm-hmm. my own company, and. You've got something to say. I'd Dan- like you to hear you speak yeah, yeah. instead of your little dog. Woof, 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 woof. woof, 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 woof. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis, um, Daniel Plainview, looks at him and says, this will make you my competitor. And that line, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, that yeah. line really kind of sums it up. Like, if you take that era mm-hmm. and transpose it to today, even... It's the same idea. Mm-hmm. Don't fucking matter who related, not related. Yeah. I'm going to be the king, and I don't give a shit who you are. Did you just tell me how to raise my family? <laughs> yeah. yeah. One night, yeah. I'm going to come into your yeah. house where you're sleeping. I'm going to cut your throat. The dude was so intense. But that but that scene really summed it up for me. Like, you know, that's your son. Whether he's blood or not, yeah. it don't matter. That's your son. Mm-hmm. You know, you raised him. And it don't matter. And it all spills onto the floor in that in that whole scene. And that's when I think he really after that he come he come apart after that. He knew he fucking he screwed up. I mean mm. what really mattered to him was that child and that child was gone. Yeah. Um mm. painful, 
painful film to watch, but I can keep watching it over and over again. I just love dying with that film, I guess. It's. I mean, it is a tragedy. I mean, the, the, it's tragedy. called There Will Be Blood, and, and we all know the saying, blood is thicker than water, but is blood thicker than oil? That's what we eventually end up trying to figure it out. Like, mm. is, is is what's imp- what's important to them, you know? Yeah. Another key scene in the movie as far as the, the competitive entrepreneurial warfare involves when uh, Eli and Plainview are, are fighting in the mud, and mm. he's, like, dragging him by the hair and beating the shit out of him, and it's this extended take yeah. of everyone watching, and it's just sort of this, this almost biblical image of people fighting in the dirt scratching around in the dirt for survival which is how we first see Plainview he's deep underground Mm -hmm. and he's digging for silver breaks his leg but picks up right where he left off well that's yeah you mentioned that and it's another idea because we see we get to see where he started Mm -hmm. and what he became you know which was this prospector this you know very well dressed you know well fed rich man yeah um, but he still had no problem rolling around in the mud mm-hmm. and getting dirty in his beautiful boots. Yeah, yes. Those beautiful boots he was wearing. He still had no problem just getting dirty. I think just because of that, the absolute passion and hatred he had <laughs> for Eli Sunday. Right. But he never enjoys his wealth at any point. He never enjoys the fruits of his labor. Like you never see him like, oh, I made it. You know, like he, yeah, his entire fucking, life. Yeah. He's a sociopath. That's yeah. why. His food yeah. had no flavor. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. He was eating caviar, but you know couldn't taste it. Like it, it, it didn't matter to him. Like well, he, it was never enough. I think mm. it was really important for them. That, you know, PTA. He looked. He really shot the house. Like you got to see all the hallways and the rooms and the bowling alley yeah. and <laughs> like all this insanity, right? Uh, how beautiful this house was, and even even Eli makes that comment like. Oh, yeah. Your house is a miracle, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, there's just all this lavishness, and there he is in the hallway shooting his gun in the hallway at – he's shooting at Tup- well, I don't think Tupperware. It was, I said Tupperware. What the fuck I don't is? really think it was ever – I mean, from what I've always picked up from that character in the movie, I don't really yeah. think it was about money or material things for him. It was about winning. Mm-hmm. Really. Well, that's he says that to what he, who he thought was his brother. Right. There's a, there's a dialogue in the middle of the film where he says, "I you know I have a hatred in me. I don't want to see other people succeed. I want to make enough money so I can just get away from people." Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know he, he that whole idea he's talking about, which he's very vulnerable in that in, in that. That's why, in my opinion, the most vulnerable he he is in the film is when he's having that conversation with who he thought was his brother. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. also one of those scenes in the movie where we see he's really starting to slip into madness because any any outsider can say that's not his brother, that's an imposter. But mm-hmm. you know, he's at this point in his life where he he just had his first big his first big oil strike gusher, his first gusher <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, you know, now he's getting into his, Roger Ebert called it possession and madness, and I think it was clouding his judgment up until a point where there was there was just no way that this guy could be pulling his leg anymore. When they're talking on the beach about the peach tree dance, well, yeah, he was he called him he called him on his shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. He it was it was just conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, like hey, remember the remember the peach tree dance and. 
he obviously kind of blew it off. You could tell he just kind of blew it off, and he's like, "What the hell?" And it's I mean? extended take of Daniel D. Lewis, you know, grinning, smiling, and looks away. The frown starts to form on his face as this look of realization. Like, wait a minute, who is this man sitting next to me? This yeah. cannot be my brother. And it's there's no dialogue in that that whole shot. It's all just in Daniel D. Lewis's eyes and his facial expressions. In the water is that when he was in the water floating? Yeah. 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 And then it cuts right to the next scene in the bar. Yeah. <laughs> all you hear is there's no. <laughs> I think there's a low. Well, I'm assuming bed. that's supposed to be a brothel that they were in. They must. Yeah. You know, more money, more money, please, more that's, money. That's and some then, money. Please. Yeah. 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 Some money. Money, please. And he's he's laughing. He, you know, the guy is showing his true colors now. He's just a user. He, mm-hmm. He's a parasite, uh, and he's finally found his meal ticket. I mean, and to me that was quite gratifying. To be honest with you, his fate. Um, mm. I, okay, I don't want to turn this into the there will be blood show because it'd be very easy for us to do that. I think we can all agree that wow, it's my favorite too, Andrew. I I, I can't get enough of that movie. It's a um, toss-up between There Will Be Blood and his next one that's my favorite. The Master? The Master. Yeah, that's my favorite one. Two. The Master is your favorite? Yeah. There Will Be Blood is my second favorite. I yeah. never realized the range Joaquin Phoenix had until I saw The Master. Yeah, he's good. He's a good actor. That's his best role, in my opinion. Yeah. His oh, yeah. And he's a total fucking sociopath, too. Nut! Mm-hmm. He's got a, was it a PTSD in that movie? Mm-hmm. Post-traumatic. Yeah, yeah, it, for sure. And I think that movie's interesting because it makes you, it makes him out kind of like he's a bad guy, but he doesn't get treatment for it. He, he seeks treatment in the wrong place, I guess we yeah. could say. He's because yeah. you know that that entire thing's an uh, is like supposed to be a metaphor for Scientology. Mm. Um, so he's looking, he's looking for salvation in all the wrong places. And, yeah. and what the movie's trying to say, I think is that religion preys on the weak on, I, I don't want this to sound like, I don't, I don't know how to say this without sound like a dick, but I feel like religion a lot of times preys on mentally weak people that are a lot. You always see people that are really down in their life and they've gotten through a lot of troubles and they all of a sudden get religion. That happens a lot, right? Because religion preys on when you're weak. Your lowest point. Your lowest point. And that man, I mean, he's trying to reacclimate to society. Like, it's one of my favorite. I have two favorite scenes in that movie. And my first favorite is when he uh, he's trying to acclimate to society. And he's a bit, like a photographer at a Sears yeah. type yeah. of oh, a place. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just trying to do a simple thing with a simple, like, take a picture of a guy. And he's, like, freaking out and being all crazy and shit. Like, he can't. He doesn't know how to to just interact with people on a on a normal level, mm-hmm. and people don't know how to interact with him at all. Well, when he starts moving the tripod closer and yeah. closer and closer and closer it's to that strange. guy, I start to feel claustrophobic. Yeah. Like yeah. I actually can feel what's happening in that scene. Yeah. Because if somebody put that camera that close to my face, there's a really good chance you're gonna get fucking knocked the yeah, fuck I'm out. Yeah, punch you. I'm, yeah, I, I would freak out too, Andrew. Um. The first half of the movie, I, I guess, draws its heaviest inspiration from this documentary series that John Huston was directing called "Let There um, Let There Be Light," and it's a series of interviews with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, World War II veterans that have just come out of uh, just come out of combat and they're trying to reintegrate into society. And almost all of Freddie Quell's opening speech when we first meet him is comprised of snippets of dialogue that these real um these real interviewees have that's said. really cool 
on the Blu-ray, there's actually uh, you can watch on the Blu-ray. They have snippets of the of the interviews, and it's like identical, note for note. Yeah, check that out. It's a penis. It's a penis going into a vagina. Yes. That's what they have, that's, that while it was not supposed to be funny, I was kind of like cracking up, like oh my god, that's all he was thinking. Because I know the opening sequences, like they show, and I didn't quite get all that, but there was the the opening sequences on the beach, mm-hmm. and all that was on their mind was sex. That's all these men could think about. You know, they were making the the sculptures. Yeah, yeah. Well, they so. were getting they were getting high on uh, torpedo fuel and yeah. I don't think Freddy Quell drinks one glass of alcohol in the movie. I think everything he drinks is some poison that he created from paint thinner or photochemicals or whatever. You, you have no idea what he's putting in there. Are you trying to poison me? Not if you drink it smart. <laughs> he's so uh, neurotic. And I. Uh, the other scene I really like is uh, when he meets with uh, Philip. Seymour does his uh, the cult leader, and they have that conversation where he's inter he's interrogating him mm-hmm. and he's asking them these really personal questions and mm-hmm. you could and you that acting like I literally held my breath the entire time I watched it. it's so fucking intense mm-hmm. and Joaquin has that that's like he's that single tear that rolls down his cheek because he's like he's basically destroying him in front of him he's he's got his heart in his hand and he's just crushing that dude and he's and he's poking at his he's trying to find his weakness so he can exploit him mm-hmm. because what cult leaders need like they need it like heirs they need they need people to follow them like you can't be yeah. a leader without people you know yeah to, to sycophants you know so just just watching him you know find his weakness prod it and open it up open that wound up and you know, and just like exploit it, exploit it. Mm-hmm. Like th- it's happening in real time too. Like, which is insane to me. That conversation, it's so rapid fire and just destruction of that man. You mm-hmm. know. But at the same time, I do think that Lancaster Dodd genuinely loves and feels for Freddie Quell, even to the point where there might be some loose homosexual longings there. Particularly in the last scene when he's singing the song to him and gonna take you on a road to china all by myself mm. that was that was lancaster dodd professing his love for freddie quell one last time it was you know not just a last goodbye it was like a goodbye kiss almost i felt like but, he was more in love with the idea of saving him mm-hmm. than he was with, of him as a person because whenever he became too much as a person he would send him away or he would like not help him anymore I feel like he only liked him when it seemed like he was uh, responding to his, you know, his uh, his brand of religion that he was peddling, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, like he only was useful to him insofar as uh, validating him as a spiritual leader and not necessarily as like a person, I guess. Like yeah. he was more of a idea than uh, than an actual person he liked i guess their reunion when um uh, after the they get they both get out of prison and freddie's walking back up to make amends they, there's a shot where they're hugging and wrestling and rolling each other on the ground you know there's there's was definitely uh there's definitely a gay moment in that i thought <laughs> and also the opening shot of all these men wrestling on the beach yeah there's definitely some homoerotic suggestion in uh, in those. I think military is full of a lot of homoerotic thing, which is which is interesting because uh, you know when I was in the military in 
the 90s, uh, they had Don't Ask, Don't Tell and all that stuff. So in the early 2000s, and it was really like, you know, uh, when I was in basic training, people would say they were gay to get kicked out of basic. You know, you could just Mm. say I'm gay and then they would like have to like take you out of basic training. Mm. A lot of people did that that weren't gay. They just said it. But but it's weird to me how homoerotic military is. But they were so against gay people like it was like, you know, you have all these dudes showering together. There's a lot of like, you know, bro rants, like man, mm. like I love you, man, kind of like under duress thing. Yeah. It, you get these really intimate, like uh, uh, emotional connections with other men mm. when you're in a wartime situation and mm. under times of duress to that maybe even could border on like sexual love or romantic love that that were you know actively railed against in the military so i I find that interesting that you bring up the homoerotic aspect because the military is kind of built on that like Mm. foundation of man love i'm trying to say this in like not in a silly way but honestly no no uh, yeah i get what you're saying exactly i think there's a certain level of intimacy going into battle Mm -hmm. right yeah there's a certain level of intimacy when people create art together yes Mm -hmm. which battle in my opinion is kind of the opposite of that Mm -hmm. but i think that that's something going into battle together and fighting a battle we all know that not we've heard that in in, you know in the marines the military themselves before you even go into battle you already are part of a brotherhood if you get through boot camp right we know that so i think there's a certain level of intimacy in that where We've, and we see it over and over again, no matter how, of all the wars we've had in history uh, in, the, in the last 200 years, just our young nation we live in here, um, the military, they're brothers. We, there's a brotherhood. Yes. Old, young, we see that. We have holidays for that. These people bond together. So again, I think it goes back to that intimacy, like in battle, like this is something we've done together that not a lot of people say they can that they've been a part of uh, and that bonds us and that's what makes his character interesting yeah. uh Joaquin's character because uh that one of the main components of problems with PTSD is that they get cut off from that support system that they have with other people that've gone through the same thing so you know you're you've gone through a battle and you you're about a bunch of people that have gone through it as well so you have somebody to talk to about it but then a lot of times people get out of the military and there's nothing there for them you know the the VA yeah. they've been cutting that stuff and it's it's hard for them to get help so that guy's just basically been he's like a castaway he's like been he's like an island unto himself yeah. where he has nobody to to talk to about and you know converse with and then that's why uh, the cult leader is so alluring to him. The salvation, the, the idea of belonging to a cult is maybe, uh, you know, you can have like, it, it's an analog to being in the military is kind of like being in a cult. If I want to, if I could be so bold to say it's that. It's a bond. Yeah. It's, it's another intimate thing. Yes. You're, you're all com- in close quarters. He was basically looking for a replacement for yeah. that you know feeling in the cult that belonging that yeah that being belonging. a part of something exactly yeah. something mm-hmm. bigger than yourself which is exactly what the military is that yeah. he was just trying to replace it you know in his life andrew i'm sorry we were oh i was <laughs> i was gonna say um on a totally different um level altogether uh uh just on a purely technical level his previous films that were all shot in panoramic widescreen 35 millimeter this is the first time that he shot a f- he shot a film not only in 65 millimeter which really he beat Christopher Nolan and Quentin Tarantino to the finish line as far as 
bringing 70 millimeter back into the mainstream. Uh, this was his first movie shot in 185. It didn't adhere to the typical widescreen dimensions. It was more the framing of an HD TV setup, which was interesting because up to that point, I was expecting to go in to a big panoramic widescreen movie, and mm -hmm. this was the first Paul Thomas Anderson film that did not do that. It's still visually spectacular, mm -hmm. but it was a completely new style. The use of sex in the master also <laughs> oh creepy fucking oh, it is. uncomfortable yeah a roving a roving a roving we will go my yeah <laughs> that was like the worst handy i've ever seen in something ever i was just like ooh, i couldn't wait for that scene to be over i was like Ugh. that that's what i mean he's good at playing creepy sex people uh yeah so, like he was the dude in happiness the phone oh the god phone that, sex oh. guy <laughs> he's just so gross and creepy in that Jizz is on the wall and yeah. then sticks a sticky note over it. <laughs> yeah. oh, he's just like always, he's really good at creepy, gross sex scenes. Well, Joaquin's character also, there's just certain, the guy got a lot of ass. Let's just put it that way. I was, yeah. That's one thing that I really, because he's, we've already established this guy is a freak. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, PTSD, his mind's all over the place. Somehow, Anywhere he goes, he's got chicks that are jumping all over him. I mean, it seems like any... Well, first he's cute. Well, in the, okay. But, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but it seems like every universe that he was in in that film, there was chicks gaming for him. Yeah. He could walk into a bar. He could go anywhere, and he would get himself a chick, right? Well, he was pretty charismatic. I mean, uh, most people that are off or even sociopaths or, you know, which I think he is, too. Like, he's, it's at the point where he's just like off his rocker but he was very charismatic yeah. still you mm -hmm. know like uh you just kind of develop that i guess i think a pretty good uh, uh description of how his relationships function for most of the movie except at the very end after he had that farewell with lancaster dodd uh is the first the first woman that he's hanging out with at the at the photography gig that he's doing yeah. you see them making out he's you know playing with her with her tits and mm. then it cuts to mm. them mm. at a restaurant and he's just passed out drunk and she's <laughs> bo she's bored yeah. and yeah. i get the feeling that it's just a repeat pattern he, he might get a lot of women but they all end the same way they yeah. were disposable to him it seemed like they were just there to pass the time and he mm. wasn't really looking for like a meaningful connection with them i guess yeah. Player. Do we uh do we want to touch on inherent Please. vice? Can we? I know I know we're good we subject, bad subject because yeah. we can go all night on this. Yeah. I really would I mean the master was fantastic. I mean mm -hmm. I think we established that, I think. Yeah. Pretty good flick. Let's move on. Uh <laughs> Inherent Vice. Yeah. And this is another one I had not seen yet. Now it's not that old of a film. It's only a couple no. of years old. This mm. one's pretty split amongst uh, people too. Yeah, I, I couldn't get through it, so I, I really it. can't speak much on this film. I need, mean? I need to sit back down with it again. Yeah, need to give it another point. try. Yeah, I think when I watched it, I just was like thrown by it. Speaking of Joaquin and, Phoenix, um, yeah, completely okay. different character in this one too. Completely different mm -hmm. character, and I'm gonna, I'm just the gonna duck. say, yeah, I'm just gonna say it right now, the dude. Okay, I, I, I you've seen it, right, Michelle? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I read Andrew, the book. It was I know based you've on seen too. it, right? Big Lebowski. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that character yeah. stank of that. That doesn't mean it's bad though. Mm -hmm. The same, even the same charisma walking into a room. This guy's a complete stoned wreck mm -hmm. all the time. However, 
chin held high, observing everything around him like he could be walking in as the king of something. Like, oh, look around. Oh, yeah. It's, oh. it's like the Big Lebowski if it were made by Robert Downey Sr. Yeah. <laughs> it's that stuck right out to me, that character, the doc. Mm. Right, uh, and it still, and it has the same ring, obviously, to the dude, the doc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, to me, there's really no mystery there of what the what the hat was being tipped towards. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, different but the same. Uh, this is another. This did the same fucking thing to me that Magnolia did. I sat there through that whole damn movie, just on edge, heart elevated, anxiety level elevated. Through the whole damn movie, because it was just another one. Like, okay, what horrible thing is going to happen here? The movie's called Inherent Vice. Okay, <laughs> and when you really <laughs> learn what that means, and you're like, oh, okay. Um, Joaquin, I think, to me, as far as like between this and the Master, as far as like performance yeah. from McQueen, jo- Joaquin, mm. I think his performance in Inherent Vice it blew my mind. I was blown away by that by that performance. I like it better than The Master. However, I think I may like The Master as a movie yeah. more than Inherent Vice. Mm-hmm. But I think what what he brought what he brought to that to Inherent Vice was to me is just it was a, it was a hell of a it was a high caliber performance I guess. Um, it's a hard movie to follow. It, it it's re- very oh, yeah. disjointed, which is exactly like the book because the I, I think I'm saying this guy's name wrong, but Thomas Pynchon Pynchon Pynchon. Uh, mm. His uh, writing style is very like stream of conscious and disjointed like that. And the book is also hard to follow. But I think the book is trying to ape like the kind of like a drug fueled, you know, a drug fever dream kind of a thing where it's, you know, it's very hazy, surreal things come in and out of focus a lot. So I feel like it's exactly like the book. Yeah. But I don't know if maybe that book. I actually, when I read the book and then I heard they were making a movie, I was like, that's one of those books where I always thought it was unfilmable mm-hmm. because it was so weird and like postmodern. I didn't yeah. think somebody could actually make a movie that worked out of it. And then he did. That's probably the best movie you could make out of that book, to be honest. That mm-hmm. still captures the, the feel of it, but, you know, it is a little bit more accessible. Mm. There's, you mentioned like drug fueled. Which is yeah, the movie moves mm-hmm. like that, and it, and it's it's like a party, yeah, the whole way through, because there there's even scenes where they go from scene to scene. It's just like these people come in, and they just kind of leave. And if you've ever been like hammered, which I I have, a couple times, <laughs> um, you have one. If you have a real good night like yeah. that, you get a real bender you're on, and you go bard right? Mm-hmm. You have that weirdness, you know, where brownouts. I like the column where well, you, you have the haziness. Time. Yeah. You have the haziness where you're like, yeah, dude, there was like this dude we talked to last night and he, he showed us this matchbook from his parents wedding back in 1964 that he keeps in his wallet at all times. And he, he, he showed it to us cause he wanted us to remind us of the past mm-hmm. he was telling us about. And then he showed us like this picture of this boat, that he has hanging on the inside of his car. He took us in the parking lot and showed us a picture hanging in his car of this boat. You know, I mean, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm riffing yeah. too. But that's kind of how that movie moves. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like in and out. What just what's going on? Yeah. It, sometimes it'll go from one scene to another, and it, and it doesn't make sense how those are two yeah. are connected. And it actually probably really doesn't. Like it's not like you're like missing stuff. It's just 
he literally made that movie to be kind of jumbly and and a little bit confusing to the viewer mm-hmm. because you're kind of like you know that makes you identify with Doc because Doc's just fucking high the whole movie like yeah like you know yeah. he's just drifting from place to place like a waft of smoke you know in and out That's you know perfect as far as an analogy Where, I was, Andrew I was just gonna add to that that it's um it's definitely creating a very hazy perspective you see you see through his eyes and walk through his shoes in the movie even though it throws a bunch of non sequiturs and red herrings and endless amounts of cameos this movie has more cameos than any other paul thomas anderson film i mean martin short shows up at yeah. one point <laughs> um benicio del toro shows up in it oh i was so happy to see him keep going uh, eric roberts mm-hmm I'm trying to think who else, but it, it goes on and on how many people are in this film. Josh Brolin, I want to say, also gives oh, a fantastic mm-hmm. performance awesome. in the movie. And Bigfoot. That he didn't get an Oscar nomination for it is is a real shame. Every so, conversation I have is just hilarious. Yeah. Like, it's just fucking weird. Are you okay, brother? <laughs> I'm not your brother. <laughs> He's like the straight man kind of like, you know, dad. He's like a dad cop. Well, you watch... Bigfoot through the whole film, mm-hmm. and, and, and the appearance is that he is like this super cop. Yeah, he's like he's just badass, tough as nails super cop. And as that as the film goes on, you see that he's broken apart. Mm-hmm. He's a complete mm-hmm. mess. Mm-hmm. Um, drinks. He has a drinking problem, which is a great scene mm-hmm. where they just show the bar, the bottle of Johnny Walker, and his son pouring yeah. his little son mm-hmm. pouring him shots, right? As he's on the phone mm-hmm. for one of those conversations. You see that obviously he's doesn't have it together. Mm-hmm. He's a complete mess inside. Um Yeah, Josh Brolin really brought it to that film too. It was I thank you for bringing that up because Can't- and Catherine Waterston, I also want to give a shout out to, not just for that movie, but mm. for uh, this Alex Ross Perry movie I'd seen with her called uh, Queen of Earth. And she's fantastic in that movie, too. It really, really holds her own. So I'm excited for what she's going to do with yeah. Alien Covenant, but not to open that topic up. <laughs> <laughs> not again. <laughs> for another show. For another yeah. show. We really, we yeah, I as I, as I was expecting... We really went out far with this because, and I know we could probably go like another hour. Oh and yeah, half I could talk about yeah. there will be blood for another. Yeah, hour. yeah. Which so. we're gonna, we might just have to just do an episode on re- that. Not an in interest of redundancy, but down the line, an indulgence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Absolutely. what podcasts are for. Is for yeah. indulgence. It's indulgence. Oh, yeah. it, completely indulgent. <laughs> PTA no hitting right. Well, no you know, what, very, <laughs> very quick. I know that there's, and you mentioned it before. The show, just just to top this off, just for a minute or two, uh, there is another project being worked on right now. Um, it, I think the working title, I don't know if this is the final title, but I've heard it circulated that it's being called The Phantom Thread. He's reuniting with Daniel Day-Lewis, supposedly yeah. oh, it's yes. being shot in 65 millimeter again, and it takes place in London, England, early 1900s. Like I fashion? Think. It's supposed to take place in the fashion world. Yeah. But in, London, England, in the in the early 1900s. Ooh. Last I heard, anyway. That that's that's the cool thing about this guy too. He never does the same shit. Oh. Everything is a different. It's a different idea. Piece. Yeah, everything had different characters. It's really cool. Yeah. Seeing him work with Daniel Day Lewis again is really exciting. Also, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I anything Daniel Day Lewis is in, I'll. I don't care. Lincoln was fan. That was the last thing I think he. The last major project he was a part of. Yeah, was I Lincoln. think so. 
that just blew my mind. Uh, mm-hmm. I can watch that over and over again just to watch him tell stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right, PTA, the man. Um, all right. Well, more to come on that. I mean, yeah. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson's a director, I mean, that you really pointed out to me, Andrew. Uh, you know, I've seen a handful of, I saw a handful of his films. Um, and then you were the, the, like, Paul Thomas Anderson, Boogie Nights? You never saw Boogie Nights, you fucking retard? What's wrong with you? Like, are you stupid? And I'm like, uh, and it's, it's, I'm really happy that I have, I, I, and I am going to see Punch Drunk Love myself. I'm going to sit down and watch that. I think that. you'll really like it. I'm do you sure have I the will. criterion of it, Chris? No, I do not. Okay. Well, I do. I can. Yeah, all right, great. I'll loan you that. And or maybe I do. Maybe I do. I'll have to look. We can look. I got to watch that in Heart 8. Yeah, that was the other one. Heart 8. Yeah, that's the only one I hadn't one. seen was yeah. Heart 8. So it's PTA only on DVD. Really? Yeah, there's no Blu-ray of it. Oh, far out. That's, that's sucky. <laughs> all right. <laughs> let's roll on out of here. Great director. He's the man. Episode 47 of Real Crime. Check us out at themoviesleuth.com. If you're in Cincy, head out to Horror Hound Weekend. Other than that, questions, comments, or concerns, email me at chris at spoilerfreemoviesleuth.com. Bastard in a basket! (laughs) Bastard in a basket! Visit us at www.themoviesleuth.com and find The Movie Sleuth on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and iTunes.